0: generation there is a chosen podcast it alone will analyze the subtext the allegory and the clever weediness dialogue it is conversations with dead people to Conversations with Dead People, a post-mortem podcast on the works of Joss Whedon. My name is Paul, I'm your host, and I'm typically joined by guests from the worlds of fandom and academia as we make our way through the critically acclaimed series Buffy the Vampire Slayer and its spinoff series Angel. Uh, and joining me this week for the first time uh, is my good friend Eric Sippel. Eric, I don't know why, but uh, welcome f- to your very first episode of the podcast,
1: Thank you for having me on. I'm really excited to to finally be here. It's it's definitely weird given my um, my vocal um, history of opinions on the later seasons of Buffy to only appear <laughs> during the later seasons of Buffy, but I'm actually really excited to be here and talk about these.
0: Yeah. So um, so Eric is the author of the young adult fantasy novel Broken Magic, uh, which um, I reviewed all the way back on episode 119. Arlo and I reviewed on. Uh, Episode 119 of Gobbledy Geek, which was eight years ago, I believe. Yeah. Uh, wow. You've got the your upcoming novel Mimesis, which is still on track for this year. Yes,
1: I'm. I'm very hopeful. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm waiting on the cover artist to. There were some personal issues on the cover artist side that delayed that, but um, they're perfect enough that i'm i'm just i'm waiting there's no reason to rush it so hopefully sometime in this year we'll be getting a, a release for it
0: excellent all right well i'm looking forward to that um you're also my co-creator co-author co-editor on uh the superhero short story anthology the deli counter of justice which i don't know if i've ever brought up on this podcast before i may have but i usually don't i i don't tend to pimp my other stuff on this but uh <laughs> Anyways, that that is also out there, and uh, Eric is one of the important cogs in that machine.
1: Yes, and and I'm I'm excited to be. This is actually my first time doing um, a, a TV centered podcast with you that isn't uh, Avatar Returns. So this is pretty exciting.
0: Yes, another thing which I may have name dropped uh, once or twice, but I've certainly never gone out of my way to pimp uh, is the. The uh, Avatar The Last Airbender And uh, Legend of Korra review podcast The Avatar Returns Which um, I did with Eric and Arlo And I still get uh, It's it's on, I would say that series Is done, we reviewed the entire We reviewed both of those television series all the way through Episode by episode Uh, And then we continued a little ways past that Kind of doing the comics and we sort of petered out So I often tell people that that podcast Is done But we've always left it open for a comeback and mm, there may be a comeback in the future
1: I mean it's you know I, I am told there's a there's an anniversary coming up so yes. we'll see
0: yeah we'll see what happens anyways um, since this is your first time on the podcast why don't you uh, tell us your history with Buffy how did you get into Buffy
1: Um, yeah so I didn't I I did not um get into Buffy at the very beginning it was somewhere in season two that I started watching it. Um, I, re- I remember catching an episode or two of season one. Actually, I should say I was a fan of the movie from when it first came out. So big movie fan. And in fact, I had the reaction that I'm sure I think you probably did too, because I think you were a fan of the movie. I was. Yeah. Uh, um, that it was like, why are they making a TV series out of this movie? That's ridiculous. It was mm-hmm. my reaction when they were launching it. And I wrote it off. Also, it was on a network that basically had no, like, uh, it was really hard to get. With wb at that point that's what it was it was wb yeah um but anyway so i caught up in season two became a really big fan got about as obsessed with it as anyone who <laughs> became a fan of it during season two got um you know i think it's interesting we talked really quickly about um avatar uh the avatar podcast because anyone who, who did hear that will probably hear similar refrains <laughs> we get through here too which is that i'm the weirdo who always likes the spin off and so my main attachment to Buffy is that it would have led me to angel, which is one of my absolute true loves of television. Yes. So Buffy was, Buffy was very important to me. I love Buffy, but, but it's like angel is like one of the anchors of my soul. So, um, <laughs> I, I, when I think Buffy, I immediately think angel, which is not a knock on Buffy.
0: Well, you, uh, you have potentially many repeat appearances on this show when we get to, uh, angel, the series is, <laughs> Not many people signed up for that. A bunch of people jumped on board to to join me for Buffy, but not m- very many people signed up for Angel. So,
1: well, we'll get there. But yeah, but it, this is um, yeah, and actually, we are in the Angel era of Buffy at this point, which I, I always have to like remind myself of, like, since it's like a universe, like, what what am I? So yes, we're in the season four of Angel era at, at this point. So.
0: Oh my it's gosh! Of... Yeah, it is that far along, isn't it? I think so. I
1: think so. I think or the, it's got to be season three or four. I think for... it's season four.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, so I, uh, Eric, I don't know if you were aware, but I've made the uh, <laughs> the odd decision that I still waffle back and forth on, uh, that I'm, I'm going all the way through Buffy and not touching Angel, even though they are running concurrently at this point. And, when I, and then when this is done, I will pick up with Angel and run all the way through that without... I mean, w- this is a spoiler podcast, so we can say anything we want about any episode of either series, but I'm not for some reason I decided not to try and pair up Buffy and angel episodes as we're reviewing them. So. All right.
1: All right. I will, um, I will keep that in mind. I'll do my best.
0: I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You can talk about, if you know what's going on in angel at this very moment, feel free to talk about it. It's
1: just, uh, Oh, I was, and I was wrong. Actually. I think it's, I think we're in the, um, the season, uh, Season no, you're in season four. I was right. Never mind. No, season three. We're in the season three era of Angel. Sorry. Man. So I don't, I don't lose myself entirely. But yes, I will keep myself on track. I will be good.
0: All right, that was a roller coaster, man. Jeez. Yeah,
1: I was just like, I'm telling you, I, I, like, it's important the temporal placement of where we are. <laughs> Even if I never comes up, I need to know where I am.
0: Yeah. Um. All right. Well, so, um, Eric, for your your eight years of dear friendship, uh, I am punishing you. By having you join me for this, these three particular episodes of Buffy, we are going to be discussing uh, episodes 611 Gone, 612 Double Meat Palace, and 613 Dead Things, so that's what you get for being my friend, Eric. Oof,
1: oh yeah, see this is, this is friendship. Friendship is being the only person who wanted to talk about these episodes, apparently. (laughs)
0: oh man so let's see let's see what we can make out of them but let me um let me throw a spoiler warning out in case anyone is joining for the first time conversations with dead people is not a typical rewatch and review podcast we will be exploring the plots characters and themes of each episode in depth and within the context of the series as a whole that means spoilers and a bunch of them so i recommend if you haven't already watched buffy the vampire slayer and angel the series all the way through at least once press pause go do that we'll still be here come back whenever you're ready And so with that business taken care of, if you're ready, Eric,
1: let's go to work. I I have one quick question based on what you just said, which is, is that to say that if we, that we are not that I'm really interested in doing this, but that we don't need to worry about future spoilers for the show. Is that what I understood? Yeah, correct. So. OK, so there's like a point about where things are going that we think is important to talk about. We can do. OK, yeah, yeah. good. OK, I just wanted I, to make sure I understood. I ever, every
0: once in a while I catch myself being coy with future details. Like for some reason, I've tried not to even though, uh, you know, we're discussing season six. And so my feelings about season six are pretty well known. And and I I make all sorts of allusions to. An upcoming episode seeing red but for some reason i'm always coy about naming that episode i don't know why but uh (laughs) yeah you you don't need to be coy um yeah okay we can we can spoil whatever we want to so great all right so let's start off with um man (laughs) yeah i apologize for picking you for these episodes (laughs) dude but uh, let's start off with gone so how did you feel about this one
1: you know i i actually hadn't remembered this one much the, of the three of them this was the one that i i had a very like foggy memory of i mean i remember there being an episode where uh buffy turned invisible um and i remembered that it had some hijinks around the um the social worker like those two things had had stuck with me but yeah this was a this one was weird to re-experience for me because it's totally way different than I think I would have explained what I thought it was based on my foggy memory of it.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, you are not the first person that I've mentioned these episodes to. And they said, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really remember much about gone because it's a pretty damn forgettable episode.
1: It's, it is. I mean, honestly, like the, the other than the, the fact that, that Buffy's behavior is almost sociopathic during a lot of this episode. That's like really the only memorable thing. And that was actually what came out troubling for me. But beyond that, it's, 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 it's a weird mishmash of like early Buffy hijinks and, and the weird tonal stuff of this season. It's very odd.
0: Yeah. So, uh, my biggest problem with this episode is is exactly that it's Buffy's sort of goofy. I'm I'm glad you referred to it as her season one attitude. Um, it just I don't know the 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 mix between the swing between comedy and tragedy for really this entire season I think is pretty extreme, um, and they're not always particularly well blended together. And this is an example of an episode that uh, it I mean it's pretty forgettable, but some some fairly serious stuff happened I mean we're coming from like smashed And wrecked and stuff that was very 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 serious and we go Straight into this Goofy Slapstick episode And I don't know If it was I I, I think one of the Problems I had with Buffy's invisibility Attitude uh, Is that the dubbing was So clearly Dubbing <laughs> And I think a lot of um, the more I thought about it, the more I was like, you know, her her behavior might seem odd in the context of this season. But, yeah, you're right. It's kind of season one, season two, Goofy Buffy. But you don't get the benefit of watching Sarah Michelle Geller give the performance.
1: Yeah. And, and because because of the fact that she's an adult now um, and because of the fact that the things she's doing are in the adult world and not in like high school world she's a much more rep it's reprehensible mm-hmm. almost yeah. like even like you know there's a there's a lot of stuff with her messing with the social worker who is certainly making her life difficult but is not actually calling out anything incorrect about the bad living situation right. that Dawn is in you know she's not actually evil but the episode treats her like she's evil via buffy's very disturbing behavior and also she's just like messing with people in the park it's 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 really weird and i think that you know looking at the placement of this and then double me palace you can almost feel the writers trying to engineer in a breather between the dark stuff before and the dark stuff after but nothing works the same way once you're in this adult darkness period of the show so i think it just it it leads to this like massive tonal disconnect as a result
0: yeah i agree that's that's well put i hadn't I hadn't thought about the disconnect of she's being goofy childlike Buffy, but it's very adult stuff that she's doing, but yeah, you're right. That is another, another reason for the, the weirdness of it.
1: Yeah. So yeah, this was, this was, I mean, I, I ultimately like, you know, I think I enjoyed watching this one more than, than double meat as a result of me not remembering it as much, but um, I don't know. There's, there's a lot, I don't know. I'm curious what your notes are on this because there's there's like a kind of not a lot for me to unpack in revisiting this, and also not a lot happens in the episode to talk about. So it's it's, um, my brain is very like knotted up on this particular episode.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I, to be honest, I don't have a lot of notes. I I tend to take a bunch of notes when we do these podcasts, but uh, I don't have a lot on any of these episodes. Um, (laughs) uh, It really feels like only one particularly significant thing happens in terms of like the larger plot of the season uh in this and that's that the scooby gang is finally aware
1: of the nerds of doom yeah that's right because because i didn't watch the other season six episodes up to here but if i i'm right that there's sort of a run of episodes of them tormenting the scoobies without them really having any idea of who or why right that's kind of been a theme through this season
0: um yeah they haven't really the the nerds of doom actually haven't really focused on buffy much at all. Um they've been trying to do their own thing and I think that the Scooby Gang occasionally, you know, accidentally stumbles across this stuff but um they they're aware obviously you hear them talk about the uh the black van that's been stalking buffy or whatever. So I just don't think there's been a lot of overt attacks on buffy so to speak okay. up
1: till now but okay. Yeah, this is another thing that really stuck out that's like a totally like random detail but i'm trying to think of which specific moment because i didn't note down the specific moment it happened but it might be a couple of them man did the like particular invisible man effects of things floating around feel like a children's show it was like (laughs) children's show special effects for a good chunk of this episode yeah yeah um... oh it was jonathan jonathan in the chair that was the one that that stuck out. It was like when, when Jonathan sits down in the invisible chair right. and he's spinning around in it, like that was, a, it was definitely like, like some, like Ses- someone turned invisible on Sesame street kind of
0: stuff. <laughs> well, that's appropriate for Jonathan. <laughs> he, he is, he is a little Muppet. Um, yeah. I mean, it it's been weird to, on this revisit of Buffy on this rewatch of the entire series to just remind myself what the state of art, state of the art special effects at the time were um, yeah
1: but yeah, this, uh, so okay, you know what though I, okay so there's there's there is actually something good I have to say about this episode, but I have to say something else bad about season six before okay. I can say it, which is, and I guess this is probably going to be my chance to bring it up, which is I, I'm sure it's not a novel thing to say that the willow magic as crack metaphor <sighs> is just a disaster yeah. a storytelling item, and coming in at this point really reminded me of how much. How much I hated it as a metaphor, but also how much of a betrayal, I think, to Willow as a character it was um, by, like, kind of removing from her the thing that was her cool power while, like, Buffy's cool power gets to just be the Slayer power, like, no big deal. But Willow has to not be able to... I hate this whole Dark Phoenix thing. Dark (laughs) Phoenix is great, but, like, it is just really Dark Phoenix, even more so than I remember back then. It's purely all the Dark Phoenix tropes. Yeah. Um, But um but well, sorry you were going to say something and then I'll I'll say my good thing after that.
0: Oh, I was just going to say on on this uh over the course of this podcast uh since this is the first time in a long time I've watched it episode by episode all the way through. I've tried to pay attention and I've tried to track Willow's progress through the series and see how far back you can kind of predict or you can sort of see where the seeds are being laid for her transition here. And I think I think me and some of my other guests have have come to the decision that this um magic as a drug thing is not quite as out of left field as it perhaps seems like my biggest problem with it is the super clumsy ham-fisted way it's handled not necessarily that they did it just that they do it so poor like they cram it down our throats in fact in uh in i think maybe the last episode of the podcast i said the the closest thing this season comes to being subtle with the magic as a drug thing is that they didn't just flat out name rack the character rack they didn't just name him crack <laughs> that's as close as it gets to being subtle um but yeah they, they they really just hammer it over and over again and uh it's i don't know it's unpleasant um as as so i just finished up the final season of uh uh, Bojack Horseman, which is a series I would love to do a podcast about someday. Uh, that is a series that's all about addiction and the darker sides of, of uh, you know, the transition from childhood to adulthood and all that. And um, yeah, I mean that's a show that knows how to deal with uh, mixing uh, addiction storylines into its plot. But
1: yeah, it was, and I agree with you. I think there's ways of doing ways of doing it. I think if they had treated it. As an addiction that didn't entirely mirror drug addiction, including like specifically having like like a high from it, like a very drug specific high. I think that's a lot of the problem. You could definitely treat magic as an addiction. And actually what's weird is they did treat it as an addiction with Giles and it was brilliant.
0: Mm -hmm, Like
1: all of the Ripper stuff is basically the storyline, except that it actually felt like it was magic based. It felt tied into what magic could do with Ripper. They were actually trying to accomplish things, and this they kind of just went down. The, I go to a crack house and get uh, get pleasure from it. Like mm-hmm. that's as far as they they took it. And then she literally gets into a car wreck as yeah, if she, she, was, she was drunk.
0: Yeah, she lit. They actually give us a driving under the influence scene in a very special yeah. episode of Buffy.
1: Right. Whereas like you know Ripper's stuff was he they they tried to do something and summoned a demon as a result, which is a much more Lovecraftian version of addiction to magic, which mm-hmm. works a lot better. But so okay so i i kind of hate the the magic addiction thing i especially kind of hate in theory the like a willow has to go cold turkey stuff on the other hand detective willow is awesome
0: i know i know it's it's i, I hate that we have to go through the sh- magic was the easy way out and she can't do that anymore so she has to struggle to be detective you know encyclopedia brown or whatever but uh it is good to see her back to doing it the old fashioned way.
1: Yeah. I mean, just, and and specifically like the, the way they treat the investigation itself, I think is actually legitimately good writing. Like this is not a great episode, but every step of her investigation is good, interesting and the clever in an in an old style Buffy kind of way. I actually think it's really successful. Yeah,
0: I agree. I, I was, uh, <laughs> I I wanted to almost roll my eyes, but I, I didn't. I caught myself and I was like, you know what? No, that's actually really cool. When uh, she was investigating the scene and uh, she had taken paint scrapings off of the the uh, uh, fire hydrant or whatever it was. Um, at My first thought was, well, what the heck? You're not you don't have a mobile science lab <laughs> or whatever. How are you? What are you going to do with that? But I was like, no, the show has dealt with this kind of stuff before. And I think it's really cool that she's. She found an invisible fire hydrant, probably by noticing that there was paint scrapings just floating in the air.
1: (laughs) Uh, One of the things I realized I love doing these types of shows, I've realized it with like doing Avatar and now doing this, which is like you start to realize trends in yourself. Those like weird things you key into. uh And I realized as soon as I'm talking about this, that I have this pattern of liking things that are kind of mediocre, but have a great character being a detector strand like attack of the clones i love detective obi-wan totally the same thing it's obviously an easy trigger for me to be like you can save this by putting in a good detective plot line so this is this is clearly a bias of mine and i just want to call that out
0: it's fair it's fair um yeah i wish um i wish willow got to do more of it but (laughs) detective willow doesn't stick around very long
1: yeah I mean I think there's a little bit of it kind of In the next episode like a hair of it In mm-hmm. the next episode but nowhere near as good yeah. um, And then we're pretty much Right back to Dark Phoenix pretty soon After that
0: Yeah. Um, so I I Started off this podcast series By being very like I, I was Really keyed into Jonathan Like all of Jonathan's appearances And, and how the character was treated Because I, I, I'm hung up on how the character Of Jonathan ultimately gets treated By the Scooby gang um, and I knew that we were eventually gonna hit season six, and the character gets really problematic in season six. Um, but I'd forgotten—I mean, he—he he still is problematic, but I'd forgotten how clearly Jonathan and, to a lesser extent, Andrew, um, really do demonstrate that they are uncomfortable—that the the being a being villains is just kind of role playing for them and when warren takes it into like the real world like when he really becomes a villain they push back more
1: than i remembered yeah i agree in fact this the, this is the episode that has the um really great um we are crime lords not yeah. not murderers thing of like like lex Luthor. and i you know buffy buffy always had an interesting relationship with comics in my mind and i yeah, i haven't rewatched the whole series um enough to to remember to know if this is accurate where i always felt like it flirted with how much it wanted to be excited about comic book tropes versus sort of hide that it was using them Mm -hmm. um so i I think it always had sort of like a an uncomfortable relationship with being being open about its its um its motivate its influences i guess maybe is the way to say it not that it was ever hiding them but it also was it was less meta about comic books than it was about other other the genre media maybe right. is the way i mean it but this is a rare time where like it does it and i kind of love that call out of like that in these nerds minds there is a version of a, of a super villain that is not a murderer but they're so they're cool they're doing the wrong thing and for their own power but they don't cross that line yeah. so they're okay and i kind of love that that's been built up in their heads as a thing that exists and while i think the nerds of doom are a failed concept overall in this season um i kind of like the idea of of a bunch of characters have this idea that they can be villains with clean hands and then they can't like right. i think that actually is a good idea even though i don't think it's particularly well executed in this season
0: yeah and uh in the third episode we're talking about tonight it gets <laughs> it gets even more awkward but um yeah it it's I I was always kind of fond of the nerds of doom as bad guys. I you're right, ultimately it doesn't really go anywhere um because I don't know. I I feel like in the in the storyline breaking process uh, like at the before the season began some of this stuff probably worked in the abstract a lot better than it does in execution and uh I think maybe the concept probably was that we'll magic is a drug and Buffy's depression, her her
1: PTSD from being brought back from the dead and that kind of stuff. You know, it's it's, it's an interesting thing, and I think you see it, um, especially in the third episode we're going to talk about. But I think it's here, too, that, you know, I'm not a huge fan of season six or seven. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, I'm weirdly kinder to season six, even though I think season six makes some worse decisions than season seven. And I think the reason is is that like we we're kind of just hit one of these points, which is that season six, when you step back from how they execute it, if someone described the ideas in this season to you, they would sound great. Like, this is actually a conceptually good season. The idea of the Nerds of Doom is really good. The idea of Willow struggling with becoming too powerful with magic is really good. The idea of Buffy being depressed because they pulled her out of heaven, really good. The idea of... Spike struggling with with not having a soul, but maybe being good, and in this problematic relationship with Rafa, also good. Every one of these ideas, when you sketch it out into like a story bible for the, the season, all actually sounds really interesting. They just don't pull it off. Yeah. Um. You know, versus like season seven, which I think actually is a little bit bereft of good ideas. So when they pull things off, it's good because there's a lot of things they're just sort of missing a, a storyline for a lot of season seven. Um, but it's interesting to compare them. And I think that's why I'm, 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 as much as season six bothers me, I'm forgiving of a lot of it because I, I can tell that they all thought it was going to be good when they were discussing it, you know? Like, they 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 I bet they came into the season pretty excited, with good reason. Um, but it just, it, I, and I guess, you know, we'll talk about this with Double Meat. I think it's the better episode to talk about it with. But the show is clearly struggling with its concept in adulthood as evidenced by the invisible plot line. But that's, I think a core problem this entire season. And especially in these three episodes that Buffy is struggling to be a show about adults and doesn't know how to do it. And I think that's the core problem.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with all that. Um, Well, we can move on to double meet. I don't, I don't think there was anything else in this. I mean, you mentioned the, the uh, Jonathan in the invisible chair scene, which was, yeah, I mean, it was very, it was, uh, you know, high school production level special effects, but we did get the funny exchange
1: of Jonathan jumping up and saying "You penis," <laughs> and yes. Warren saying "Cheer up, Frodo." Yes. Uh, uh, you know, actually, there's, there's one other really good strand in this episode that I, I actually can't believe we, we kind of forgot to call out, which is the, the joke of Buffy's haircut being adorable is a great through line. Mm-hmm. Actually, again, one of those kind of old Buffy kind of feeling, uh, like episode plot lines, the fact that they keep talking about her hair, hair the entire time leading up to the thing of like, you're It, it is adorable. Uh, at the point when Willow sees it all, um, Good stuff actually yeah. a really good through line in this episode
0: Yeah no I uh, I thought I remembered people Complaining about the hair thing As if it was like a Felicity sort of deal um, But Yeah no I, I also thought That was funny the The weird thing About this episode is trying To figure out why it even exists Because the series has uh, There have been a couple episodes before this where For one reason or another uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar couldn't be on set as much Either she was filming something else or or whatever And so the the show would shoot around her They'd find an excuse for Buffy not to be around as much um, Near as I can tell, that's not the case here um, There has been speculation among fans That uh, Sarah was kind of exhausted After the the long production schedule For Once More with Feeling And so the writers were just trying to give her a break. And that's why she's only on set for like a handful of moments in this episode. But I don't know. It just it was a it felt weird. It felt like one of those episodes that, oh, she's in Europe filming a movie. So she couldn't be here. They had to find a workaround.
1: But it it reminds me of like Doctor Who every season they would in order to like they would do like a Doctor Light episode Mm -hmm. um, because they would like have to like double double film episodes in order to be able to have time to film like the Christmas special or whatever. And so you'd have some episode like blink where um, it's a bunch of like side characters and the doctor shows up for two scenes. That's definitely what this feels like. This feels like a doctor light episode of doctor who with that. (laughs) Yeah. But, but yeah, anyways, that's, that's the last thing I have to say about gone is the haircut joke is good.
0: Okay. Uh, Well, let's move on to double meat palace. I I, I will say uh, gone and double meat palace. Another reason they're so baffling to me, is because of who the writers on these are Gone was David Fury it was, it was written and directed by David Fury And he's a good writer And Double Meat Palace is written by Jane Espenson Who is a good writer So I don't I, I can't explain why these two episodes seem You know, less than their best
1: And it's actually It's horrible because Jane Espenson is one of Buffy's best, best yes, writers yes, too. Yeah. Like not just one of the top tier ones But she's probably in like the top two or three yeah. of of buffy writers and and i mean i okay so i i was trying to avoid tweeting about watching these because i didn't want to like get all my thoughts out when i was doing it but i i actually couldn't hold myself back from this as i was 10 minutes into double meat palace and i tweeted something along the lines of like that i can make a pretty good case that double meat palace is the actual worst episode of buffy um and and i you know there's it's debatable you can argue with some stuff but i i might have to make the case that the meat palace is the worst episode of buffy
0: it's certainly worse than beer bad which is the one that most people jump to when they're talking about bad episodes of buffy
1: yeah they, well there's two episodes that people bring up as as the worst it's it's beer bad which i which is not a great episode but i disagree with is the worst because it's it's fun ish mm-hmm. there's some good jokes and stuff in it and um i robot Jane. Which is yeah, yeah. which is, is which is really bad. Um, although I, I actually that has Jenny calendar and is also bad in kind of a campy fun way. So as much as I think it's a bad episode, I don't hate watching it. Um I actually think not often enough does Teacher's Pet get brought up as one of the worst <laughs> episodes of Buffy, which I think is much worse than either of those ones. Yeah. Um And I think is maybe the only real competition that Double Meat Palace has is Teacher's Pet, which is really bad. That episode is not good. Um, (laughs) But but, Double Meat Palace is rough, man. It's – I mean – and you know what thing with Double Meat Palace, unlike the other ones, the idea at the core of Double Meat Palace is kind of gross. This episode is a little gross. Um, (laughs) And I don't mean the the grinding up meat part of it. The the fast food stuff is gross too, but like – there's two really weird ideas at the center of this episode that I, I struggle with, which one is Buffy needs money to fix her, to pay for her giant house. Right. And somehow she's going to do that by getting a fat, an entry level fast food job. Yeah. It, so that doesn't make any sense. And then an awful lot of the jokes feel like they're coming at the expense of the fast food workers in a way that I don't think they deserve. So it really, like, it, it, like, The manager one doesn't care. You know, cruddy fast food manager, fine. Like, take your jokes at them. But, like, it's a lot of jokes about how fast food people are, like, it doesn't really... I don't think it's intending to do this, so I don't want to go too far with this, but a lot of jokes that tread up against, like, fast food workers are, like, dumb and checked out and people that Buffy doesn't want to be around, you know? like. So those two things actually really make this episode a little uncomfortable for me.
0: I don't don't know if you've ever worked fast food, uh, but... I I did more than my fair share Of time in the fast food industry when I was Younger and the moment In this that I Really felt what you're talking about Was when I think it was the Character Philip whoever was training Her on the grill how to do the grill And uh, when he Goes off about how like Buffy Says we're going to we're going to get greasy here. Right. And he was like, mm-hmm. yeah, your hair, your eyebrows, your skin, your clothes, your ears. And he really like seems on the edge when he's talking about, you know, I went to the doctor and they pulled plugs of grease out of my ears. That's a thing that could in another episode have been played as a straight joke, but it was actually a little bit disturbing to me. Yeah. Like,
1: yeah so, yeah. Well, I think that's like a, a good example of this where, the episode's direction and acting of that character plays him a little bit too much like as a creep as opposed to a very damaged individual. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I think playing everyone as shell-shocked and damaged isn't bad because fast food is dehumanizing and awful, but a lot of them are kind of played as creepy in a way that I don't think is really fair um, because, like, that job sucks and, like, you would be miserable having, having endured this grease fast, you know? So him being like, like unhappy and like shell shocked by his life is totally on point. But him being a creep is maybe the joke that didn't, that doesn't actually line up with the joke they're trying to tell. Yeah.
0: So, um, you, well, you mentioned the manager. I just want to point out the actor's name is Brent, Brent Hinckley. And he's one of those character actors that has done a million things. He's got a, a hundred thousand credits. Um, but the thing that I always think of him from And that I immediately recognized him from When he popped up Is um, Brother Andrew From the X-Files episode Genderbender Whoa, oh, that's him? Yeah, that's him And so I, I just I feel bad for him Because it seems like he always ends up on the <laughs> One of the worst examples of, of an otherwise good series <laughs> Yes Because Genderbender <laughs> was not the high watermark For the X-Files
1: either Yes, yes, and and you know he does he does about the best job you can hope for for this character, which serves very little purpose. And to be honest, this episode is so full of red herrings that it's actually impossible to track mm-hmm. what any character is actually doing by like two thirds of the way through. I mean, even having seen it again, I'm ha- I'm struggling to exactly remember ev- like he like he's covering for people quit. I don't know. Again, like it, it, they, they play so hard into the idea that he's the person or, or involved with the people dying and getting ground up into meat or whatever that by the time they reveal what's actually going on, it's, it's it, I, I've lost track <laughs> of what the story is there. Yeah.
0: So I, I don't know how many people feel this way. I don't know if you feel this way, but I think, I think I actually would have preferred. So, xander's comment uh i think you're seeing demons where there's just life um first of all that's a great line and i kind of wish that that had paid off i mean it sort of does because ultimately it's not soylent green they're not grinding up people (laughs) and feeding them uh to customers so that is a red herring and a misdirect but i I kind of wish then there is a supernatural element tacked on at the end. And I kind of wish there just hadn't been that at all. I sort of wish that the, the only monster in this episode had been
1: the mundane, you know, reality of working in fast food. That's actually, that's a really good point. And I, I also wish that because the demon isn't particularly interesting. Um, it doesn't really serve much of a purpose. Uh, it has a good payoff joke when, when it dies, but uh, like the other than that, um, it would have been good. And it's interesting you bring that up too in a season that has uh, – so W Palace may be the worst episode. Season 6 has maybe my most hated episode, which is the episode where Buffy thinks she's normal um, and she's just crazy. Normal again? Uh, yeah, yeah. Which that is, is coming up.
0: That is such a polarizing episode, man.
1: It, you know, it's an extremely well made episode that I think is a, like a jerk of an episode. <laughs> you know, like it's a bad idea that's pulled off well, which is different from what we were talking about for a lot of the season, which is good ideas pulled off badly. Right. Um, so, but I think that in a season like that, where you have that coming up, I actually think an episode where Buffy is convinced there's something supernatural happening because it would be easier for her to deal with it if it was supernatural and then just being stuck dealing with the the horrifying pain of adult life would have actually been really powerful there would have been a real point to make if that had been what was going on I think this episode actually could have meant something with that it wouldn't have just been a better plot point I actually think this episode would have had some meaning with
0: that yeah I hadn't thought of it in terms of it could have been a way of of like a prelude to normal again they could have been they could have been planting those questions all the way up to normal again
1: because cause that's actually the 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 one seed of interesting and normal again is that like idea that Buffy kind of needs to be the slayer. You know, that like that this killing supernatural stuff is what gives her meaning. Um, and so you could have set that character trait up really interestingly in this. And ultimately, she's just right, um, which is kind of a bummer. But because the demon isn't interesting. But I, yeah. I mean,
0: <laughs> so, yeah, I wish the demon hadn't existed, but we got a, I don't, I don't know what I want to say about it, but the screaming writhing poison spurting phallus demon. I mean, that's, that's something, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, that whole sequence is really something. Um,
0: (laughs) I don't know what it is, but it's something
1: (laughs) Uh, it's, it's, and it's a very strange kind of payoff. Like everything about this episode feels like they couldn't quite make it work. Because I think, like, the red herrings not adding up to anything that makes sense is one of them. Um, this demon – I mean, okay, this is my first time on the show, so, like, I'm going to give my quick thesis of of what makes Buffy really good. Yeah, please. Because um, it, it's not here, um, <laughs> which is that the thing, the thing that made Buffy special that has uh, – is one of the lessons that a lot of TV shows didn't pick up from Buffy. They picked up a lot of the season-long big bad stuff is that Buffy treated – it's um it's supernatural one-off plots as reflections of the kinds of struggles we go through so you have you know you have de- like like you know earshot being a really good example in, see- in season three where buffy's psychic thing taps into the idea that everyone in high school is miserable you know so all of the best episodes a, of a Buffy significant
0: have that. a significant jonathan episode
1: <laughs> yes yes exactly yeah. i'm glad i glad i accidentally reached for that one um but you know the demons are almost always metaphors for something you know something out there something real um and a lot of fantasy that doesn't work and always when people do that usually it feels like they're trying to avoid being supernatural and just leaning into the metaphor but buffy did this brilliant thing where it was both comic booky nonsense but also using it as very clever commentary on the state of real life um so that's what makes buffy brilliant to me um and it, it's very particular to Buffy because even Angel doesn't really play that card the same way right. that's pretty much a Buffy thing in this what what the hell is this saying <laughs> what is what is this demon supposed to be like in the in the context of like working a crappy job to pay for your life in the context of fast food in the context of anything what is the customer who is actually a demon who eats you behind the restaurant supposed to be
0: yeah. Again, I think, I, you know, I. This is all speculation because I I don't have any particular insight into what the writers were thinking at the time. I haven't do, I haven't read a lot of interviews with uh, Jane about what went into this. But if I had to guess, I I feel like there was the idea that this season we're going to get we were going to get more of the, um. Like instead of the supernatural as a metaphor. For the real world problems that these kids Are facing it would be a lot more of It's the real world problems These kids are facing and they try to cover It up with supernatural metaphors Or something (laughs) um, Where like the monster of this episode Is just the you know the the boring Life of Working in fast food but I don't One of my most consistent complaints About season six is that uh, Its metaphors are not very metaphorical like it's so much of the subtlety that uh made Buffy great in my opinion seems to have been let go in season six and um the metaphors are clumsy and and less metaphorical less subtle um sometimes pointless
1: (laughs) here's my question about that actually so I have I never thought about this to this moment this idea might be complete garbage all right but is the problem actually what we kind of talked about before of Buffy struggling to be in the adult world that that doing this metaphor thing in high school could be blunt in a way that doing it in the adult world could not like is the problem that the trick stops working with adults?
0: Maybe because you you mentioned Angel earlier and how Angel doesn't do quite as much of that. Um, and one of the things that those of us who are big fans of Like bigger fans of Angel than of Buffy we, we are often quoted as saying it's the grown-up show Like Buffy is the high school show and Angel is the grown-up show Which is oversimplified and, and, you know, there's much more to it than that But maybe that's why Angel doesn't do that Maybe that's why Angel doesn't have as many Monster of the Week episodes Serving as a metaphor for a larger
1: thing yeah they they usually like the even like and in fact the episodes of angel that struggled in season one tend to play the buffy game more often and fail kind of spectacularly <laughs> whenever mm-hmm. they try to do it um, and then later on angel sort of went into broader you know more serialized storytelling just and actually just treating the supernatural as a part of life as opposed to a metaphor mm-hmm. on life whereas in this it's like just sort of a, like an intrusion on things and It ultimately just doesn't. It doesn't click. There's no. I mean, in this case, there's just no metaphor. I mean, which I maybe is even worse than crack as the metaphor uh, (laughs) being really bad. But there's just there's kind of nothing, nothing to be said here. Um, And I don't know. It's you know, and maybe I shouldn't even be digging in this deep because this is an episode that is so sloppy that it has the revelation. Okay, the dual things that don't make sense. Okay, first of all, there is a meat grinder. At the fast food restaurant. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like what restaurant, what fast food restaurant that they've made clear is a chain and that all of these chains make things exactly the same. They are not grinding their own meat. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. At, at any of these places. And yet at the same time, we get a revelation that that's not meat.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's well, uh oh my God. I can't believe that never dawned on me. I, I did wonder why does the, like I worked fast food. We didn't grind our own meat. Why is there a meat grinder here? Um, but it didn't even occur to me that why why are they grinding meat? Because they don't use meat. <laughs> <laughs> what like, the hell?
1: It's it's like it's like they decided they, they they needed the meat grinder to make the soylent green idea uh-huh. make sense. But then they but the, but nothing else adds up. And it's too bad because and this is Jane Espenson. Okay, I'm going to give Jane Espenson some credit here. The one thing she does with this episode is it's a meat process is a great running gag. It is, yeah. Yeah. Nothing else, none of the ideas that it has to connect actually work, but it's a meat process makes you think the idea is working and it's good.
0: Also in Jane, about Jane Espenson, she apparently had never worked fast food, uh, which makes it weird that she was given the episode about fast food workers. I
1: I think that go. I think that actually explains my problem with, I mean, that was my guess. My feeling was whoever wrote this episode never, never worked fast food. Um, but I think that that, that makes sense of the fact that everything is a broad caricature. It doesn't feel observed mm-hmm. like the way that it, all the high school episodes in Buffy and even the college season, which gets a lot of crap, all feels observed. It feels like real things that people understood. This doesn't feel that way. And as you just said, it wasn't, <laughs> there right. was nothing for them to observe. Right. Um, at least one more thing
0: I want to bring up before we move on is this episode is the first appearance of uh Halfrick.
1: Oh, this I was thinking Halfrick showed up in the next one. You're right. This was Halfrick.
0: Yeah, she shows up here uh and the the character, I mean she is an important character going forward, but she's played by the actress Callie Rocha or Rocha, I don't know. I uh, James Rocha uh. might be listening to me right now saying it's pronounced Rocha not Roca or whatever. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> um and not not many people talk about this, but that's the same actress that played Cecily from Fool for Love. Uh, uh Cecily, if uh, Eric, if you don't remember, that's the woman in uh, Spike's flashback that spurned him. Like, yes.
1: Well, th- there was a lot of speculation, and I don't remember if it actually paid off in anything, that Halferk was Cecily.
0: Yeah, I do remember that that is a theory, but I... Yeah. And, and I kind of in my own mind, I kind of go with that, but I don't know if it's a
1: topic that a lot of people discuss. Put a pin in this for yourself when you get there, but I feel like there's a scene where Spike and Halfric meet each, see each other and recognize each other.
0: Oh, okay. Okay.
1: I, but I might be, I might be making that up. So just keep an eye on that. It might even be hell's bells might be the episode that I'm thinking of, but that might exist.
0: Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll look for that then. Uh, all right well you already mentioned it's a meat process which is the other the the best thing that came out of this and and i and i suppose it was the training video was amusing or not so much the video but uh buffy's reaction to the the sound of the cow and the chicken meeting for the first time (laughs) coming together
1: i I have a question for you Uh this is nothing about really like this is not a deep question but does the burger and double meat Sal double meat palace, sound tasty? Like, is that an actual thing you would want to eat?
0: I, I don't know. It seems like a thing that must have happened at some point. There must be some some chain out there that does a burger and like a beef and chicken
1: burger. I don't Maybe. know. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I just, I'm just kind of curious. Yeah. It's like it's an interesting idea but i'm like is this appetizing
0: yeah i don't i don't know i my only thought on the burgers is they are huge like twice we see buffy holding one of their uh the double meat i don't remember what it's called the double meat whatever whatever burger she eats and it like it's as big as her head
1: yes Uh, it's it's a huge burger anyway it's huge There's actually um, Xander, who by this point has kind of morphed into the awful person that everyone talks about Xander being um, (laughs) does get actually a good string of really funny reactions around eating this burger, especially when when like she tells him it's human and he basically has it in his mouth. Yeah. Um, So, you know, Nicholas Brendan was always really good at the physical comedy. Part yeah. of the role, um, and and he really sells that moment. It, it's hard to remember the good moments in this episode because it's not a good episode. But he kind of nails that. He kind of nails that.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Um, in fact, my favorite part of his reaction is the the silent one. He he has some funny lines, but the silent one when uh, Willow is like, "Wait, you ate it?" and he just like holds his finger up at her and looks all queasy. Like, let's stop talking about it. or Whatever. I don't know. It was. <laughs> that was my favorite part of his reaction yes Um, yes all right so let's move on to dead things which um i think i think it was off mic i don't think we talked about this on on air but uh i said that there are that this is two bad episodes and one good and you framed it as one good episodes one good episode and two bad so i was referring to dead things as the good one or the okay one at least
1: well, yeah, no, I know. I said one troubled episode and okay. two bad episodes. Yeah, okay. and this is this is it. I mean, this is the one that, um, I think this episode maybe best exemplifies my feeling on season six as being full of good ideas on paper that don't work okay. in execution. Um, which actually, unlike the other ones, this isn't this doesn't not work because they failed. I actually think this is dead things is season six in like a microcosm. Because I think it's the episode where they execute all of the ideas pretty well and it can't work. Something about the alchemy of Buffy, of the needs of the way Buffy works, of the dark storylines they've suddenly decided to tell, they mush up against each other and to be honest, they really do work. Stephen DeKnight does a really good job writing this episode under the um umbrella of what this episode is supposed to do you know like what it needs to do mm-hmm. and the, then but it's such a dichotomy everything about what we feel about buffy mixed with the horrifying darkness of this episode and it just feels wrong and icky and i think what it means is this can't work on this show
0: interesting um yeah i get um In As much as I get pushback whenever I say that uh, I'm not a fan of season six Uh it usually like The sort of dismissive way that a lot of fans of season six react to that is oh you don't like dark stuff and and that's not uh, That is not it at all. I I trust me. I love dark storytelling So the darkness of season six isn't what turns me off. It's the It's the I feel like the clumsy or or unfocused way that a lot of it is handled um so yeah, I mean I I guess I'm just repeating what you're saying, that there, is, there are great ideas here that are just um not handled in the best way. The the spike so the, the Buffy and Spike relationship, I am I'm I'm really not a shipper with any of these characters anymore, but I am a Spuffy fan. Like I I always rooted for them over Buffy and uh Angel. But uh it gets so ugly I've said on other episodes that a, a big problem I have with season 6 Is a lot of the meta stuff It's the sort of the behind the scenes stuff That was going on at the time That this originally aired uh, Most of that to do with Some of the creators Some of the writers Had very clear issues With the character of Spike And didn't think that fans Should attach to that character The way that we did Right And so some of the stuff that happens uh, In this season Is very, very clearly them saying Look, he's bad you're not supposed to like him.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, and Oh crap. There was something in double in, um, in gone that I forgot to mention, but this is actually the better point to mention it. Okay. Which is there is a scene where Buffy basically sexually assaults spike. Oh
0: yeah. 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 When
1: she's invisible. Oh yeah. Like, which, which kind of, I mean, you know, this is not to justify any like you know, assuming that like you you're just gonna buy into that Spike makes the decisions that everything happens as it does at the end of the season, mm-hmm. which I f- I think is a I still feel like is a little bit of out of character stuff to justify what comes after. I think they're reaching a bit in their in making the characters do things by the end of the season, but um, but Buffy <laughs> like. Just straight up goes after spike when she's invisible
0: battles off the top of my head but the one where um, faith has sex with xander um, i remember that uh, my guest and i were talking about we brought up the notion that that was t- technically that was sexual assault like she she had her way with xander and he may have thought that he wanted that he may have thought oh this is cool the the badass slayer is, is you know into me, but Xander is never allowed from that point on to ever act like or register the fact that he was a, a, he was essentially sexually assaulted um and that could be a traumatizing thing uh that should be treated as a traumatizing thing, and Xander just never really gets that opportunity to to behave in a traumatized way um But yeah, this is, uh, I I think it's a subject that doesn't get brought up very much because it's, the counter argument is so loud. (laughs) Like the the counter argument of Spike is an awful character and Spike has done and is about to do even more horrible things. Uh, And so, you know, we're not really, we don't want to have the conversation about this one time. Buffy may have taken advantage of Spike.
1: Well, I mean, I think that this is another example of like you know this is one of the, one of the many examples where I kind of feel like Buffy as a show was not equipped to deal with the subjects it was getting into in these seasons um, because okay let's like step back again from the events that actually happen in the season um, and as they actually are executed and the idea of a relationship which is toxic and harmful to both parties mm-hmm. where they are both actually horrible to each other they're both violating each other's consent they're both doing things to hurt the other on their own behalf is a real human and dark and real kind of storyline right like that's actually real relationships yeah. where you know it's it's like both of them are reprehensible in their choices and that story is fascinating that's a story that works really great on angel <laughs> But on Buffy, it totally – because we're used to the certain type of storytelling on Buffy, Buffy just isn't equipped to make that story work because, okay, the scene where Buffy basically assaults Spike is treated as a funny humor scene because that type of scene in Buffy would normally be a funny humor scene. Buffy is invisible. She's going to do hijinks. Let's have fun with it. So you get that, but it bumps up against this real adult stuff that's happening, and there's just this this discordant note. As a result of it so I just I I really think that like you know this is A lot of like biting off more than the format Can chew um, is kind of what's Happening here
0: I think what makes It extra frustrating for me is that The the show (laughs) uh, The amorphous character Of the show by which I mean the writers Occasionally acknowledge it uh, So they're every once In a while they recognize what's going on like in This episode there's the scene at the End when Buffy is um, she's obviously in denial and she wants to As as Dawn says she wants to go away again She's trying to turn herself into the police Spike's trying to stop her and she Beats The hell out of him more than she has ever Beaten him before especially since he's not fighting Back and there's One brief moment there like it's That scene is disgusting to me because of the way She's talking to him she mm-hmm. says There's nothing good or clean in you you're Dead inside you can't feel anything real I'm so defensive of Spike so that upsets me but there is a moment where she she realizes what she's done and for just a second they allow Buffy to have a horrified expression on her face um and not because Spike is a terrible character because but because she realizes this is wrong I'm (laughs) I I'm beating him and he doesn't deserve like she she recognizes that she just went got unleashed on Spike and it was uncalled for
1: yeah Right. But those moments it's,
0: are fleeting and then they, you know, they, they only happen every once in a while and they never stick around. So,
1: yeah, it's, it, it becomes kind of incoherent. And I think it's really interesting to compare it back to a very similar scene that works phenomenally in season four when faith is doing that to yeah, Buffy. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a moment they really, a to play out and that really feels like rooted in what they were doing. And, and the pull Buffy spike relationship is, is just very confused. I mean, again, I, I I just don't think Buffy can can as a show was made to deal with some of the things they're trying to deal with here. And I think that Dead Things' main storyline is the best example of it because okay, let's let's just like quickly track the the storyline <laughs> of Dead Things. Right, so we start off in Acts one and two of let's treat John, the trio of Doom like the the nerds being. Um, going after and mind-controlling someone to be a actual quoted sex slave yeah. as funny hijinks, right? Like we get a, like an act or two of them joking around yeah. about this. And and not in a way – I mean I, again, like I'm, I'm sure the writers thought what they were doing was like sliding us into how creepy this was. But the format of Buffy, that type of joking never meant that level of darkness, in the past, so you have two like you know like a third of the episode is just joking around about this really atrocious subject, and then, right in the middle of it, without really going very far at all, suddenly they've killed someone and and then it gets real, but by that point you they've been joking around for like ten minutes you know it, it's really weird
0: actually the first the first shot of at least jonathan and andrew recognizing oh this isn't a game happens just right before they kill her when when uh katrina says you know this isn't fun in games this is rape and jonathan in particular uh gets a reaction where he suddenly that like wakes him up and he's like whoa wait a minute no no that's not what we're trying to do like it it, he suddenly realizes it's not fun in games and when she puts that word to it it uh Andrew briefly is shocked by that, but he falls back under Warren's sway pretty easily. But I think Jonathan, that really broke Jonathan in that moment.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, and I can, the thing again, this is a thing where on paper, I bet this makes sense because what they're trying to do is like show that like they have this comic book idea of like what they're going to do, but that that in reality what it is is rape. Like what, you know, like they have this like ludicrously fantasized version of power and getting everything they want because they can get it. But that in reality it's gross and it is rape. And that on paper probably sounded like a really good idea because it's like a, a potentially good turn. But the structure of Buffy just – and the and also the nature of these characters. I mean Jonathan's a joke character. I love Jonathan. I don't mean he's a joke character yeah. he's a bad character. But, you know, he's always – he's been in the show as like – a very specific type of joke. Um, Andrew is an even more extreme version of that joke. And to just suddenly turn it like that is jarring, I think in the wrong way, especially because the show only deals with that moment for like two minutes before (laughs) it becomes a thing about them tricking Buffy into thinking she killed them to get away with it. Yeah.
0: My, my problem is I can't remember how well, my memories of the series are just foggy enough That I know uh, That Jonathan and Andrew continue on uh, Into season 7 And I I Know that ultimately Jonathan dies and I believe That he Maybe willingly I can't, I honestly can't remember but there He dies in a sort of sacrificial way um, But uh, I guess where I'm going is this moment this episode feels like, Oh, this is where Jonathan uh, realizes he doesn't want to be a part of this anymore, but he clearly still is like, (laughs) I I don't, I don't think he quits the trio after this. Uh, He still plays along with Warren.
1: Well, he kind of does, but we're, we're a good half season away from it, I think. So somewhere near the end um, of the season, Whenever Jonathan gets the like testicles of power, right? um, Yeah. They they um like somewhere in there, Jonathan and Andrew both kind of quit the deal, I think, because it's gotten too ugly after Tara's death. Uh Um, but then Warren Warren does get like you know offed through all of this, and when we see Andrew and Jonathan again, those two stay together. They fled to Mexico at the end of season six, and they come back in season seven due to the first evil talking to Andrew, basically, and Andrew kills Jonathan, um, okay. To, to open the seal of Zaha doom or whatever it was (laughs) called. But, um, but anyway, so like they, they do quit Warren, but they hang together. And I mean, like, and actually like, again, in the weirdnesses of this show, trying to make sense of what it used to be, um, everyone, everyone kind of focuses on whether like Spike can be redeemed, but like. Andrew is kind of reprehensible when he makes a comment at the end of this episode about being excited about getting away with murder. Yeah, we got Um, away with
0: murder, that's kinda cool.
1: And then and then like I said, next season, like I mean, granted, the first is kind of messing with them, but he straight stabs Jonathan and kills him next season. Um and and then he becomes the Xander for a whole season. So which which is which is kind of another way that this show doesn't make any sense at this point, right? Like these are too adult and heavy. (laughs) <laughs> to just do those kinds of things later yeah yeah it's it's very troubling and and, and there's and this is why i say is a trouble this there's a lot of really good things in this episode the time to displacement demons are a freaking cool idea yeah that 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 sequence everything about that sequence is kind of brilliant actually in in like a best of buffy demon kind of way
0: yeah, no, I agree. I I love how that scene plays out. I mean, the demons themselves look pretty standard, but, um, right, yeah, right. I love how that worked. I love how it
1: works. Um, and, and it's, but like, but I mean, but it's, in some ways it's, it's a sign of the weakness of this episode that they're dealing with this extraordinarily real and heavy thing of these three people having, you know, like sexually assaulted and then murdered a woman, Mm-hmm. And then, but the whole storyline is just sort of like their trick to make Buffy think they she killed them and there's again this goes back to like the Buffy metaphor thing. There's no real metaphor there to play with at that point. It's just plot mechanics and and given how dark what they're dealing with is diving into weird plot mechanics is kind of uncomfortable and hard to track mm-hmm. it's a it's This is a really weird episode for me. It's absolutely the best of the three. But it makes some very strange choices
0: So there There are Two scenes that I really appreciate There's there's two things that I put in the positive Column in this episode And one thing that I struggle with One thing that seems uh, That seems weird And kind of out of place And I I read somewhere So I'll start with that scene The the troubling and out of place scene um, I read somewhere uh, A comparison to to this being like almost a a twins twin peaks ish kind of scene, and it 's the balcony scene in the bronze when uh Spike is having sex with Buffy standing up there while they watch her friends, and he 's talking to her about you always find your way into the shadow with shadows with me and um that was a really weird scene, and I remembered that scene existed, but rewatching it this time, I was trying to I was asking, is this scene real? Like, is this actually happening? Because the way Spike (laughs) first shows up, like his, you hear his, he speaks from off camera and then he just kind of walks up behind her. And I was like, is this all in Buffy's head? I don't think it is, but I was trying to find a way to make that be what was going on. But anyways, that scene felt weird and out of place to me. And then somebody was reviewing it and they said that felt sort of Twin Peaks-ish and they Said in fact, later on in the episode, the show even calls that out by having uh, Buffy say that fight in the woods was very David
1: Lynchian. Yes, I, I don't know if I agree that, that scene is that that the. Uh, yeah, no, I, I I agree. I think it's it's. I don't know if I agree that it's like Twin Peaksy at all, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but it is weird. I'm totally with you on it being uncomfortable. I don't know if you read. I was looking at the Wikipedia page for this article, and there's a little bit in like the production section about this that Sarah Michelle Geller was very uncomfortable with that scene existing and felt that it was out of character mm-hmm. um, for Buffy to do that and there's a quote from Stephen the that was like I can see why she thinks that I wish I could take credit as my idea and then just totally passes the buck to Joss Whedon on it it's like this is <laughs> this is an idea that Joss Whedon had in his head for like years and so I can't even t- I, I can't take the blame entirely for it. Like he was really trying not to say it like past the buck. but He was also like straight up being like, no,
0: uh, nope, wasn't me.
1: Sorry. So anyway,
0: interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in uh, yeah. In hindsight, that plays differently <laughs> than it did at <laughs> yes. the time. Um, yeah. I forgot to mention in uh, in the comedic Buffy rapes spike stuff. <laughs> um, uh, apparently, James Marsters was uncomfortable with the faking having sex with an invisible girl scene. And uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar, I guess was on, on set and was coaching him through that. was like giving him pointers on how to look like he was having sex with an invisible girl. (laughs) So, which is weird. That's weird.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's just, there's a lot. I mean, I, I mean, I think this all goes back to like, I know I keep coming back to this and I don't want to be obnoxious, but like how, how incongruent Buffy's style of humor is with the topics they're dealing with. And that, like, it's, there's a really strong case to be made that Buffy should have ended, if not in high school, then sometime in college, and that we maybe should have gotten one year of adultness, which is, I guess, season five, you know? And, yeah. um, and, and then at that point, they probably couldn't keep being the show that they were before. At that point. No. It's, and I actually don't think this is an argument about can you maintain your quality. I actually just think that this show's DNA was so built around the trials of adolescence that it was perfectly attuned to writing those stories, which meant that as soon as adulthood crept in, the, the, the tools don't work anymore. You actually, like, are suddenly out of whack. The whole balance is just weird. And, and I think this season is just full of moments like that.
0: Yeah. No, I've, I've always said that, uh, the season five should have been the end of the series. Um, if uh, the gift had been the final episode of Buffy, I would be almost as fond of it as I am of, uh, not fade away being the end of angel. Uh, it just felt appropriate. And I I say that fully acknowledging that they're, there are good things in season six and season seven, even great things. Like I, I don't want to live in a world where we didn't have once more with feeling,
1: but yeah, I mean, I mean, tabula rasa is in my top five episodes of the show. Tabula rasa is like actually maybe the best pure comedy episode of, (laughs) of the entire series. You know, there is good stuff in, in it. It's just, and that's why I think, I don't think it's, it's easy to say the quality dipped, but I think they just got out of their element when it is the problem there. I almost like, I don't know if there was a way to make season six and seven Buffy work, which most shows that go too long. That isn't the argument you'd normally make. They just usually like start telling bad stories, but I think it just got to a point where Buffy couldn't win. This is a game that Buffy wasn't built to win.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. I'm going to, I'm going to try and follow that thread through the rest of season six and into season seven and and ask my future guests. Do you think, uh, do you think Buffy made its point with season five and uh, it doesn't really, it didn't really need to do any of this?
1: Well, this was, this was, I mean, I'm glad we got dead things because it, uh, the first two were like hard to talk about in that <laughs> they were kind of like, like DOA kind of uh-huh. mismatches, but dead things was a, it's, it, it was, it was a real episode. I don't yeah. know if I liked it and in, <laughs> in balance, I don't in balance. Do you know what I mean? Like on the balance, I don't know if it's, I'm a fan of it, but but it's interesting Yeah And there's a there's definitely a lot A lot there
0: Yeah well the two things that I liked That I put in the win column for this episode Are both So I, I've said in earlier episodes That for some reason um, Any Any of the handful of scenes That we ever get with Buffy and Dawn Having a like Genuine Sincere Emotional moments together Those really hit me For some reason Um those two actresses getting those Not goofy but like Genuine bouncing emotions Off of each other stuff I think always plays well And so we get one of those in here in this episode And I liked it um, And I was Surprising I mean I guess Not surprisingly I bad the show Often enough and I badmouth the character of Buffy Summers often enough that I, I guess It's surprising that I had such a powerful Emotional response to uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar's breakdown To Buffy's breakdown at the end with Tara yeah, uh, which which yeah. is, I mean, I'm I have always maintained that Sarah is a fantastic actress, and when she gets to plumb those depths, she she does amazing work, and it's particularly powerful to me um, when she is begging Tara, who is consistently the purest and most like just shining example of good that the show has at this point. Yeah, uh, but when she's just asking Tara to be disgusted with her and don't please don't forgive me I need I need to be broken or otherwise what does this mean and
1: I, I mean I, I say this meeting like as I, I don't know if I've ever established what a compliment this is going to be in my other conversations that anyone's ever heard me say but Sarah Michelle Geller is very near the Claire Danes level of crying um <laughs> scene power of like actually feeling like like the the ugly pain of crying She's near there. When she needs to break down, I, I mean I remember that, that she has a scene in um like season three, that Christmas episode, that I find very odd, but she has a performance in that episode that is just phenomenal yeah. um along these same lines. Um yeah, so I'm I'm with you. I think her performance in this episode is great. Um and, and, you know, actually one other thing in the whim column that I want to say because I have the suspicion that no that other people may not say it because the character is so disgusting and reprehensible. Adam Bush is really good. He is really, really good as Warren.
0: Yeah. I mean, he has... It's an interesting tightrope for him to walk. He has to be believable as one of the goofy nerds, but he also has to be the straight man to the to the extra goofy nerds. And uh, <laughs> uh, he does a great job of being both... I don't know. He, he can be the goofy star Wars fan or whatever, but he can also very
1: clearly be the villain who's full on into doing evil things. Well, so. That's a good, I mean, that's a really good way of putting it because I think he is maybe the only person this season that is walking the tightrope of understanding just how dark, what the material he's doing is mm-hmm. like, because and it comes off like even in his moments of levity and the thing about warren that's really creepy is he's almost charming you know like like jonathan and andrew are stereotypical dork nerds whereas warren has these moments of seeming almost like a functional human being that is is smooth right. you know like they're like the scene when he sits down to talk to katrina um He's, like, very in control of what he wants to be doing in that scene. Yeah. And he's kind of terrifying. Like, really scary in a way that that Jonathan and Andrew – I mean, the story isn't asking him to be. But I don't know. Adam Bush is doing something that I feel like he really understands what the story is trying to do and is really doing it. And I feel bad because he gets overlooked because Warren is the most disgusting character in all of Buffy. <laughs> so it's easy to just sort of hate him. But yeah. he really nails it. I mean, really solid work the whole way through. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, I don't know enough about Adam Bush. Uh, I, f- I have this vague sense that there's been talks with him where he has discussed feedback he's gotten for playing the character of Warren, and that it probably wasn't very positive. But um, yeah, I don't. I, I don't know enough about him as an actor to know if he had to deal with a lot of like hateful fans who blamed him for things his character did or whatever.
1: Well, well, what we'll say like what I, I, um, he did, um, uh, at the very least, I think is interesting. I didn't, I didn't actually realize this when I had even seen the movie, but, um, Amber Benson went on to direct a movie called drones. Mm-hmm. She actually co-directed it with Adam Bush. Oh, interesting. And I guess the two of them had been dating for a while and they're still friends. They have broken up, but they're still friends. Um, I don't think
0: I knew about drones. I knew about, is it, I think it's called chance. Um, is that what it was called? Uh, Maybe. And, uh, that played here at a film festival here. And we actually, uh, Pam and I went and saw it and almost got to meet Amber
1: was there. We almost got to meet her, but she was, the line was too crowded. Chance. Chance. That's, I think, is it chance?
0: Yeah. Is that, is that the movie you're talking about?
1: No, no. Drones is the one I'm talking about. Okay. Yeah.
0: Um, Well, we saw chance, which was also directed by her and, uh, And yeah, I mean, it was pretty good. Like she's from here. She's from Birmingham, but.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, I didn't didn't realize she was from Birmingham. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. But anyway, so I just wanted to give him credit because he's easy to overlook. It's actually the trial of being a really good villain actor (laughs) is you get associated with the disgustingness of the character, which actually is shows how good you can be. So credit to Adam Bush for playing the worst character in all of Buffy
0: which yeah I mean I nod along with that you're I don't think you're wrong but man that is that's some those are some hallowed halls <laughs> uh that he that he walks through to be called the worst in the show's history but yeah no I think I think you're right because because it's such a real world villain
1: yep yep yep
0: All right. Well, we did much better than I thought we were going to do. I was uh, I was thinking we would be struggling to get an hour out of this and we're we're creeping
1: up on 90 minutes. So, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, no, I feel good. I'm actually really I think there was this is this is exciting. I'm 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 really glad I got to do this. It was they were difficult episodes to watch, but interesting (laughs) episodes to think about.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for for taking a bullet. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> taking, taking one for the team throwing yourself under the bus uh now your uh your conversations with dead people cherry has been popped
1: so you can come back oh we're now we're not there we go there's the pg yeah there's rating. there's okay.
0: the, <laughs> well i mean it's adult material right i'm trying to trying to match <laughs> the show
1: we're in season six now that's right yeah
0: so anyways uh thank you for for coming on sorry yeah, it took so long having me. and uh so where can the people at home find you man
1: Uh, You can find me on Twitter at um, Salon. It's S-A-A-L-O-N. And in a rare moment, I will say also I have a second Twitter account, which is Sippy Scenes, S-I-P-P-Y-S-C-E-N-E-S. And I point that out because I've been using it a lot and will continue to be using it this year as I revisit the films of 1999, um, which I consider one of the best years of film in my lifetime. So if you want to see me tweet along with lots and lots, like, over 80 films um from Jeez. that year um you can check me out on that account
0: excellent you so i didn't mention in your accolades at the top of the show but for a while you had a podcast uh that was that's what the sippy scenes uh twitter account was attached to right it was uh what was it, it scenes making, with simple or ma-
1: making the scene making the scene. um which okay. which i actually need to it it's yeah, due to some website problems is no longer Available but I want to get it back up and I've been Thinking about reviving it but yeah we did a Podcast Paul was actually on it talking about Blade Runner um, and that was what the Account was for was for us discussing How individual scenes of movies was made It was actually a really good time um, yeah. So Thank you for reminding me of that I really need to get those Episodes back online
0: yeah I mean I, I I would love it if you would bring That back and start doing that again but Sounds like you've got 80 films <laughs> to, to watch it sounds like your Schedule is pretty full
1: it's, it's been okay. We'll see. Somewhere in July, I'm going to lose it. But but for now, I'm all right.
0: <laughs> all right. Uh, so yeah, follow follow this man at uh, Salon on Twitter and watch his gradual mental breakdown over the course of the year. Uh, and uh, thank you, everybody at home for listening. Uh, you can find links to this and all of our past episodes at the website conswithdead.com. Um, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes. Uh, and if you do that, please rate us or write us a review. That really helps people find the show. If you've got questions for me or any of my guests, or if you'd just like to share your thoughts on anything we've discussed, please join the conversation. You can drop us an email at conswithdead at gmail.com, follow us on Twitter at conswithdead, or reach out to us on Facebook at facebook.com slash conswithdead. Uh, So next, if I'm not mistaken, if my notes are accurate, Jessica Houch will be back with me um, to take a look at episodes 614, Older and Far Away, 615 As You Were. And six sixteen Hell's Bells There's that Hell's Bells thing So we're about to find out If that's the If that's the uh, Spike and Halfric meat episode So until then Gur arg everybody Gur arg When we die We go into the arms of those Remember us our- our home now Out of our heads Out of our minds Out of this world Out of this time Are you drowning away